0: Hello and welcome to episode number 28 of the Scottish History Podcast. My name is Owen Innes and this week we're going to be talking about The Great Glen and the Caledonian Canal. The Great Glen is a 62-mile or 100-kilometre-long valley that splits the highlands of Scotland into two. Technically, the northern side of the Glen could be considered a separate island due to being separated completely by water. The Glen spans from Fort William or Inverlochy to give its original name in the west of Scotland to Inverness in the east. The west coast of Scotland boasts the Atlantic Ocean whilst the east coast is the North Sea. The Glen was formed around the Great Glen Fault around 490 million years ago due to the collision of the Laurentia and the Baltic tectonic plates. This actually has us with two differing land masses between the northern side and the southern side. For example. The rock types found on the northern shores and hillsides at Loch Ness are the exact same as those found in the Catskill Mountain Range in New York State in America. Due to glaciation, the glen was carved and the meltwater formed freshwater lochs throughout the glen. These lochs are Loch Lochy, Loch Oich and Loch Ness. From the west, the Atlantic Ocean enters the glen into a seawater loch called Loch Lini, which means the pool. The loch in total is around 30 miles or 50 kilometres long. To continue through the great glen though, I have to now introduce you to the Caledonian Canal. Before the Caledonian Canal was built, the only way for ships to sail from the west coast to the east coast of Scotland was up and around the top of the country. The west coast is notoriously windy and even worse is what's known as the Pentland Firth. This lies to the extreme north of mainland Scotland and south of the Orkney Islands. The Pentland Firth is where the Atlantic Ocean and the North Sea meet each other and sailing conditions there are often treacherous. So in the 19th century it was decided that the Great Glen should be utilised as a shortcut to allow trade ships to sail through from west to east or of course vice versa from east to west. After a few failed attempts, a man called Thomas Telford, a well-renowned engineer, was asked in 1801 to investigate the issue of emigration in Scotland, which obviously we know by now was due to the Highland Clearances commencing 50 years prior. He consulted many people and stated in 1802 that he could employ local Highlanders and build a canal in just seven years through the Great Glen, Whilst utilizing the lochs within the Great Glen, and with it re-stimulate the fishing and agricultural industries in the er- in the area, therefore keeping local highlanders from emigrating. On the twenty seventh of july in eighteen oh three, an act of parliament was passed and Thomas Telford was awarded the task of designing and building the waterway. The construction started at both ends to ensure that materials could be brought via the completed parts of the waterways to complete the bits in the middle. Now the way in which I'm going to be talking about the Great Glen and the Caledonian Canal is from west to east. So we're then going to be starting from Loch linne in the west at Corpach. The canal sits 64 feet or 20 metres above sea level. The boats, therefore, are raised through a series of eight locks, which are called Neptune's Staircase. Before mechanisation in 1962, it would take up to 12 hours for a boat to use just these locks, but now it takes only 90 minutes. Once at the top of Neptune's Staircase, you enter the longest continual part of the canal and arrive eventually into Loch Lochy, which means the Lake of the Dark Goddess or Dark Water. Loch Lochy is around 9 miles or 15 kilometres long and reaches a maximum depth of 531 feet or 162 metres and it is the third deepest loch in Scotland the loch is said to contain a kelpie or mythical water horse that would overturn boats sailing on its surface the famous clan battle the battle of the shirts was fought nearby in 1544 now we will cover this battle in a future episode of the scottish history podcast upon exiting loch Lochy, you pass through another two canal locks at lagan or the hollow at the field of the ridge, which leads you onwards to Loch Oich. Now, Loch Eich itself is 4 miles or 6.5 kilometres in length and is only 154 feet or just 47 metres in depth. This is even after the water level was raised by Telford during the Caledonian Canal's construction. Loch Oich, however, does count as the highest elevation of the entirety of the Caledonian Canal at 106 feet or 32 metres above sea level. On the northern side of the loch there is a monument at the side of the road that features a hand holding a dagger from the top and around it are seven heads. On the 25th of September in 1663, the 13th chief of Keppoch Alexander, and his brother Ranald were killed during a brawl at Inch Mansion near Roy Bridge. Keppoch's cousin, known as Bald Ian, wanted revenge and he travelled to Duntilham Castle on the Isle of Skye to appeal to Sir James that revenge be had. Sir James wrote to the Privy Council in Edinburgh who then issued an order of fire and sword against the killers. The brother of Sir James Archibald was put in charge of 50 men who found and killed Alexander Macdonald and his six sons at Inverlair. Bald Ian received the heads of the seven men and wanted to prove that he had indeed received justice but before presenting the heads to Lord Macdonald of Invergarry, he stopped at Loch Oich and washed the heads in the water of the loch, and that area therefore became known as the Well of the Seven Heads. After leaving Loch Oich, he would next arrive at the lochs at Fort Augustus, and therefore the beginning of Loch Ness. Fort Augustus was renamed from its original Killiwomen, after the Jacobite uprising of 1715. Augustus was the name of the Duke or the Butcher of Cumberland and the fort built was named after him. The builder was General George Wade who wanted the surrounding town to be called Wadesborough but it never stuck. General Wade was known for his building of roads in the highlands to allow the government forces to patrol and keep an eye out for the troublesome Highlanders. These troublesome highlanders, however, would regularly dig up the stones that the roads were built from and cart them off to build something else, but also mainly because the stone roads would wear down the hooves of their cattle. Fort Augustus is now a hub for tourism. At lunch times the village is bustling with coach tours and the smell of fish and chips flows through the air. Once through the locks at Fort Augustus, you enter into Loch Ness, 23 miles from end to end and 744 feet or 226 metres in depth. Now, because we focused on Loch Ness in episode number 22, I won't repeat the rest of the information that I would give you here. However, I'm going to talk about something a little bit different on the banks of Loch Ness. On the southern side of the loch near Foyers, on a hill stands the ruins, currently, of Baleskin House. The house was first constructed in 1760 by Colonel Archibald Fraser as a hunting lodge and remained within the Fraser family until 1899 when a famous occultist, Alistair Crowley, purchased the property. Crowley believed that the house was the perfect place to perform a ritual called the Abramelin or the Abram- Abramelin. It's easy for some to say. Now the Abramelin or the Abramelin which summons is uh, supposed to summon your guardian angel but also requires to summon the 12 kings and dukes of hell in the process. Halfway through this ritual, Crowley was called to Paris by the leader of the Golden Dawn and he never banished the demons that he supposedly summoned. Crowley left the house in 1913, but did the demons leave at the same time? In 1970, after a couple of owners in between, one of which committed suicide, Led Zeppelin guitarist Jimmy Page bought the house due to his fascination with Crowley and himself with the occult. He hardly ever stayed there, however, but his friend did and he and his family were tormented by noises, shaking and even carpets being ripped up unexpectedly. Page eventually sold the house and it was owned privately until the house burned explicably in 2015. It remained derelict until last year 2019 when it was bought by the Boleskine House Foundation with the plan to restore the property to its original condition. I must admit, personally I think they are doing absolutely fantastically well. I do follow them on their Facebook page so you can look for uh, the Boleskine House Foundation on Facebook. Alternatively go to BoleskineHouse.org. Uh, The web address is, I'll spell it out for you, is B-O-L-E-S-K-I-N-E, house, H-O-U-S-E, dot O-R-G. I do recommend that you go and check them out if you have a couple of spare quid as well you can uh, donate to them. Uh they will even uh, they were doing a thing where they would send you some charred remains of the uh, uh of the original building but um look them up on YouTube or on Facebook they are doing an amazing job with getting the property back to its original condition even after another fire that ravaged through last year but I think that was down to arsonists. Rather than the demons. So Loch Ness then flows into Loch Dochfer or Loch Dochfur, depending on where you're from, an artificially made Loch as part of the canal. The waterway here splits in half, with the canal continuing onwards to Inverness, but the other half flows into the River Ness. The canal continues to the Kalachnakari Sea Lock, which allows you to enter the sea once again at the Bewley Firth. In total, it took over 3,000 men from the highlands and also from Ireland to build the canal. The Irish were employed because of uh, the Scots not really fancying doing the work, a lot of absence and things like that, especially round about the harvest time. But each individual navvy, as they were called, would dig approximately 12 cubic yards of earth per day about waist deep. So we're talking maybe, say, 3 feet in depth every single day. 12 cubic feet long, 3 feet deep. It's a crazy amount when you actually see it in person, the amount that they would dig. And... uh, To add in here as well, the entire canal was dug by hand. Now, Telford's predictions of finishing the building of the canal in seven years were a little bit ambitious. It eventually took nine, teen years for the canal to be completed. By that time, which was now 1822, shipbuilding had advanced and the canal was now not deep enough to accommodate the new iron, steam-powered ships. And even after Napoleon's defeat at Waterloo in 1815, meant that even the Royal Navy didn't need to use the canal. In 1845, a part of the Corpac lock collapsed, and the decision was made to deepen the canal at the same time as the lock was being repaired. The canal was not the success which it had been hyped up to be originally, not really until Queen Victoria visited the canal and then more people started to head along to it. However, the canal is now a scheduled ancient monument and receives about half a million visitors per year, most of them, not going to lie, at Fort Augustus and Fort William. Telford also ended up building the Goethe Canal or the Goethe Canal. I'm pretty sure someone from Sweden told me it was Goethe. So he also built the Goethe Canal in Sweden and it is considered to be the sister canal of the Caledonian Canal. If you visit uh, the Caledonian Canal at both Inverness and at the other end at Korpak at um, Neptune's staircase, uh, you will see the Scottish flag, I believe a Canadian flag because I think he also built a canal in Canada um and of and the Scottish flag now Thomas Telford I will end up talking about in uh, in his own sort of episode I was going to do sort of inventors famous inventors and uh and engineers and things like that um in a sort of its own dedicated episode or episodes. Um, depending on how long that will take, so we'll sort of uh, delve a little bit deeper into Thomas Telford himself uh, in a later episode. The canal then is in total 22 miles long uh, when you exclude the locks, and it features 29 canal locks in total. Now just to go back to the Great Glen, you can journey the Great Glen way, which is achievable by foot, bike or even, of course, boat. By doing so, you will experience the highlands proper, and if you're lucky, even on a clear day, you will get a view of the peak of Ben Nevis, the UK's tallest mountain. There we go, folks. Uh, so, once again, for another week, that's uh, that's us done and dusted. Uh, I hope that you've enjoyed this episode. I hope that uh, in, in every way that you're still enjoying the podcast. If you are, please head over to our Facebook page. That's facebook.com forward slash Scott History Pod. Give the page a like, give the page a share. I would appreciate it very much. Uh, getting a lot of likes on the, or a lot of followers I should say, on the Twitter page, Um, annoyingly I'm not that good with the Twitter, Um, but uh, if you follow me on there, every episode is uh, posted up on there, so if you wouldn't mind even giving that a little retweet, send it to your friends and everything like that, again it would be highly, highly, highly appreciated. Uh, we've got the Instagram page as well, that's instagram.com forward slash Pod. If you want to contact me for anything, you can contact me through any of those three mediums, Facebook, the Twitter and of course the Instagram. Uh, however, if you want to send me a direct mail, you can do so at scotthistorypod at gmail.com. Uh, currently, one of my uh, friends is working on a web page as well, so that basically we can have everything all on the one page. All you need, all you would need to go to is um, Scott History Pod dot whatever I decide to choose. Um, you would just go to that page, and there you just click. There's the podcast uh, on uh, every single site that you can possibly imagine. So, uh, hopefully, we can get that up and running. Um, and uh, if you do wish to support the podcast in, uh, in any other way, you can do so via the Patreon page that's patreon.com forward slash Scott History Pod where you can donate anything between £1 and £3 per month. You can donate more if you want to, um, however, I'm not looking for huge amounts of money, basically just enough to cover the costs of the podcast, new equipment and things like that. Um, so that's patreon.com forward slash scotthistorypod and you can donate uh, one or £3 every single month. Uh, And that really, really helps with uh, keeping up to date with the charges, etc. that the podcast gets. So, once again, folks, uh, enjoy the rest of your week. Um, I know I'm going to enjoy mine uh, as I'm not working uh, during the course of this week. So, I'm hoping to get ahead of some of the podcasts. Uh, I'm hoping to get a few recorded so that um, once a week... I'm recording one and just scheduling it for a couple of weeks time so if you do have any recommendations please get them into me through any of the mediums which I previously mentioned and uh, before I start rambling on I'm just going to finish it there so once again have a lovely day have a lovely evening whatever it is that you are and I will speak to you again next week